If you're tired of bad news, if you need some positivity, if you want to support small businesses, then welcome to Happy Grateful Blessed with Kaysville's own mayor, Tammy Tran. Here, you'll get to see the best of humanity from within Utah's hidden gem, Kaysville City. Every month, you'll discover small businesses, hear unique and incredible stories, and understand the difference you make in this wonderful city. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss a chance to find a new business to support and learn what makes a city like this one work as well as it does. So join us as we explore Happy Grateful Blessed with Tammy Tran. I'm here today with Chief Oberg from the Kaysville Police Department. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Mayor. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Absolutely. My pleasure. In Kaysville, you know, we see you guys driving around and we're grateful that you're here. And a lot of people would like to kind of know what you do and kind of learn a little bit about the behind the scenes things that happen at the police department. Okay. So will you first just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your history and your background and how long you've been here? I've been the police chief for 10 years. I've done uh, 28 years almost in uh, law enforcement, most of that time at the Bountiful Police Department. Um, like I said, I've, I've, I've been here for 10 years. I live uh, not in Kaysville, but just over the border in Layton City. And I had a lot of friends and family uh, grow up and live in Kaysville. So when this uh, position opened up, it was attractive to me just because I had a, a connection. My grandfather lived in Kaysville. I spent a lot of time with him growing up. Um, I'm, I'm married. My children are all grown. I have one one grandchild, so my, my kids are off uh, living their own life, and it's just me and my wife at home right now. Did you grow up with it, with a law enforcement family? Did you have family members that served? I didn't. Um, I didn't have any connection with law enforcement. And um, when I was when I was uh, out of high school and kind of going to college here and there and um, doing jobs here and there, trying to find what I wanted to do for a living, one of my friends was going to the police academy, and I thought, oh, that well, maybe I'll try that out and, and uh, you know do that. That sounds fun. See, see what that's about until I figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And, uh, I got in, went to the academy, uh, got hired and just found it to be a good fit for me. Uh, every day is a different day doing different things all the time, uh, different opportunities to kind of keep you interested and, and engaged in the job and, uh, the camaraderie and trying to just spend your life doing something that mattered. Um, Right. Felt good to me and was fulfilling. So growing up, did you sort of, was that your personality? Did you like to help people? Um, what were your interests? Growing up, I, w I was kind of the kid that uh, stood up for the oddballs. I was kind of a, I had a bunch of oddball friends and I I was one of the kids that didn't like the bullying and, and things like that. And um I take pride still looking back on the times I did stand up for somebody and I beat myself up for the times that I didn't and, and should have. That's good. Um, still, I, I've tried to raise my own children that way, uh, although they don't want to have anything to do with police work. Hopefully that's still instilled in them. Right. Uh, trying to make the world a better place. Uh, I think that's thing. great. Did your friend that went to the academy, are they still in law enforcement? or? Uh, they're both retired. Oh, they are? But, oh, okay. Yeah, yep. Um, I, I went to the academy with two of them. One of them became a police chief, uh, 
a couple of years ago and, and just retired recently. And, and the other one retired about uh, four years ago, four or That's five great, years ago. But they stayed in it, stayed yep. stuck with it. Yep. I, That's good. What's the police academy like? We were speaking with Noelia um, a couple months ago and she was getting ready to start the academy since she's graduated, but. Yeah. So there, there's a couple different forms of the police academy, but the, the content's essentially the same. So there's one that's run by the state, uh, Police Officer Standards and Training, and that's a, a dedicated um, full-time academy. And then there's also satellite academies that are run by uh, different colleges. So Weber State, Salt Lake Community, those are two that we use here, but there's also one in, uh, I think, Brigham City area. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, there's several smaller okay. ones around too for some of the you know one down in st george area to serve those communities and um some of those programs are longer um in time you know may take six months to complete where uh the the full-time dedicated one at uh post may be shorter but the the number of hours that the cadets have intense. to complete are all the the same okay. across the board and the curriculum's the same across the board and um you know, they need to learn report writing and, and how to handle a domestic. And there's some scenarios and there's also, um, you know, some tests that they have to, to pass and um, be able to learn how to, to arrest somebody and, uh, you know, drive a car in an emergency situation, all of that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, so they go and learn the basics and then they come back to an agency and we kind of build upon that. Okay, that's good to know. So they can get on the on the job training. So really, the path forward, if someone is listening and wants to maybe get into law enforcement but has no experience. Yeah, um, w what it used to be is uh, cities hated to hire somebody that didn't have their certification already because it's it's kind of expensive to to hire somebody and then pay for them to go through school and pay their wage the entire time. That that's tough, and we used to not have to do that, but um, probably the last five years we've been forced to, to do that just because there's a shortage of candidates. But um, the ideal way for us is if somebody's interested, they will uh, take the initiative and just send themselves through one of these academies, these one of these satellite academies through one of the colleges, and then they're uh, a better candidate for us. And, oh, and I see. Uh, we know then when we're hiring, okay, this person can already, they've already passed the tests and gone through the course so we don't have to worry about them not being able to complete the the course that yeah. makes sense or getting in and thinking no this isn't my thing yeah yeah Halfway exactly through it. okay so the ideal candidate would uh have gone through the course and and then come to you for a job yeah. and that's okay without experience yes yes okay. yep that's okay that's okay. um rarely do they have any kind of experience when they go through the police academy and, that, and that's kind of what it's for is to to give them the a foundation okay um, but we do occasionally hire people like like Noelia you referred to. She didn't have any experience. Uh, she came to us from Baltimore, mm -hmm. and we just felt like she had some things that um, made it worth hiring her with, with no police academy time and sending her. She had a degree in criminal justice already and um, some of those intangibles that, that uh, can be tough to find. That's fantastic. So she'd already done the work. Had a degree, had an interest, yes. proven herself. Yep. This should be a good potential. Yeah. And she's fantastic, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. I've gotten to know her a little bit. Yep. She's still in our training. 
So when we get them back from the police academy, we have roughly um, 12 weeks of training that they do with us before we put them on the road. Oh, okay. So that continues on. Yes. Tell us about your your officers, your we, department. How many people? We have a, a we great have? department. Um, we carry 32 full-time officers and one part-time. The one part-time uh, works at Davis Tech as, as a school resource officer there, and Davis Tech pays his salary and, and benefits. And then, um, you know, a lot of time I'll, I'll get people saying, well, 32 sounds like a, a lot of officers. I didn't expect we would need that in Kaysville. Um, but that's not taking into consideration that seven of those officers are, are school resource officers. Uh, we have full-time officers in the junior highs, the high schools, all our, our uh, uh, Davis School District, our alternative programs, and DARE. And so that, you know, when you take away those, uh, those seven, we're down to 25, and half of those are in patrol. Um, so we've got to provide 24-hour service, seven days a week, you know, 365. Right. So we've got roughly half of those in patrol, and then there's uh, some in uh, de investigations, our, de our detective division, and administration. The officers that are at the schools, are they there full-time and that is, and they, and they just rotate through the schools, right? Or yeah, they assigned they're, to specific They're assigned school? to specific schools. So okay. each school will have a specific officer. And uh, so they've, you know, they've got that one person that hopefully gets to know the kids and the parents and the problems and the issues at that school. And the school will have one point of contact, one dedicated person. That you know, when they need somebody, they can call that officer, and that is really nice. Yeah, I think it's gotten more and more important um, in America. You know, with the everything that's going on in our mm -hmm. schools, uh, to have a program like that in place to try to keep our children safe. We uh, we're an old city, and so we ended up with a lot of schools just because uh, that's that's where they were built before all these other communities grew. It's true, and, and they're uh, full, so. Yeah, we have roughly, we, we have a little more than 20,000 uh, kids in our schools every day. So when you put that and compare that to the seven full-time yeah. dedicated, that doesn't seem like a lot of people, really, yeah, yeah. watching out for the kids, but that's good. They do a fantastic job. Yes, they do. So they're over there. Um, you mentioned investigations. Tell us a little bit about the types of investigations that we have in Kaysville, because I know a lot of people, when I was telling people I was going to be interviewing you, you know, the comment... Um, well, what happens in Kaysville kind of happened. Sure. And, and I heard a lot of that. And even before we got on camera, we talked a little bit about some of the the garages that have been broken into, mm -hmm. uh, some of the car break-ins that, uh, that have happened at some of our business locations um, in the last couple of years and some of those challenges. And, and those are the type of calls that our detectives follow up on. Anything that an officer can't investigate fully themselves um, and that would be due to a lack of training or expertise or just time resources because we need them out on the street um, conducting traffic stops and, and being available for the next call that comes in. Um, so uh, we're a bedroom community. We don't have a ton of retail, but we do get, you know, uh, car break-ins and right. things like that. Uh, we also, because we're a bedroom community, we, we have uh, our share of domestic violence cases child abuse cases. Uh, we have one detective 
assigned full-time just to deal with our domestic violence, child abuse, sex abuse cases. Uh, that, that detective we have on a grant, uh, so that, you know, that's nice. That makes that a little bit more affordable for us to be able to, to do. Um, and that's probably our most busy detective. Really? Uh, unfortunately. Unfortunately. I mean, we yeah. look around and think Caseville is such a peaceful, wonderful place, and it is, but yeah. we're also human here, I guess. Yeah. Our, our, uh, We've got problems, too. Our property crimes went down last year, but unfortunately, our person's crimes went up last year, and those are you know, going to be the assaults, the sex abuse, the domestic violence, things like that. Do you think, was, was that based on COVID numbers and the, the COVID sort of isolation that people felt? You know, I don't, do I don't know. I, a, a lot of people want to attribute it to that. Um, but I just, I don't feel good attributing it to that because I just, I just don't know. I think it's really right. speculative and, and, um, crime trends are so tough to predict. Um, you know, we, I, I, I've tried to draw a correlation most years with, um, the number of traffic stops versus accidents in our city. So if we're not doing a great job enforcing traffic, then I would expect our, our vehicle accidents to go up. And that's generally been the case. But uh, last year, we did a great job on traffic. We made uh, over 5,000 traffic stops in the city, and our accidents still went up. Really? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think you can draw some correlations between what we do and, and crime, but, but not all the time. And that's why I, I'm reluctant to attribute... Uh, some of our person's crimes going up to, uh, to, to just being isolated and yeah. and at home more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of those statistics regarding COVID, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's hard to know how much of it really, um, happened as just part of life or, or really happened as a direct result. Yeah. I, I, I will say that, um, I think police departments across the country and ourselves included are seeing more, um, mental health related issues, whether, whether those are crimes or just quality of life problems that will affect a, a household or even a neighborhood or city. Right. And um, that's something I think our whole country's grappling with right now. It is. And it's something that we need to uh, let the community know you deserve huge kudos for. Oh. Because really getting a mental health advocate uh, for Caseville City on a grant was so smart and forward thinking. And I know that happened a couple of years ago before... Uh, before the COVID stuff happened. And it was just, it's just so nice to know that we've got somebody that can be a resource. Can you tell the community a little bit more about her and her role? Uh, absolutely. And, and, and Are, Stuart you, as well. Yeah. Um, so we've got, I think you're talking about Jennifer. I was Wink, talking about Jennifer, Jennifer but Winchester. also Stuart. So uh, Jennifer is our, our victim advocate. And that was one of the first things I wanted to do as a, as a new police chief in Kaysville, but it took me a little time to, uh, you know, be able to find the money for that, but that is a grant funded position. And, um, my thoughts along that are that, that, uh, the criminal justice system has gotten pretty complicated over the years and a defendant or or somebody who's arrested, they've got an attorney, whether they, they buy, get their own or the state provides one for them. They've got an attorney to navigate that. Um, law enforcement has prosecutors and, and city attorneys to help us navigate it, but the victims really don't have that. And, and, um, so that's Jennifer's purpose is to really collaborate with these victims and communicate with them and help them navigate this system that has gotten uh, pretty complicated. 
and she is extremely busy. Uh, we didn't know how busy she would be until we got her, and we were a little bit, little bit worried um, when we asked for a full time position. We weren't sure we would even get funding for a full time position, just because we're uh, our bedroom community with fairly low crime. Um, um, but but we got the full time position, and she is incredibly busy, and she does a great job for us. Um, not only with the victims, but she's also been able to come back and talk to the officers mm -hmm. and talk to myself. Hey, chief, we we kind of dropped the ball on this, or if we could have approached this this way, we might have been a little bit more successful. So she's not only helping the victims, but she's helping us deliver better services. And, oh, I, I think it's fantastic that we have her. So her role then, as, my, as I understand it, would be to, she would go to court sometimes even with a victim. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And, and support them through that process. Yes, her Monday mornings um, are taken up with court. She goes to court on Monday mornings and, and is there with our, our victims, trying to, again, help them navigate that system and help them understand what's going on in those cases, uh, which That's is really something nice. that, uh, you know, we just haven't done as law enforcement. Law enforcement, we've, we've you know, kind of taken that amount of law enforcement, but uh, we've kind of missed some of these other uh, aspects of that job. Well, and it's so, I, I just think it's, it's so important. It is. Because it is. the victim, I mean, will continue to be victimized so often because they don't remove themselves from situations or they don't know how. They don't know how to find other resources. And so they're still stuck in a cycle that just continues on and on and there's no fix for it. And so. Yeah. And so, some victims, that's, that's all they've ever known. Mm -hmm. um, you can take maybe a domestic violence case, for example, maybe they grew up in that environment. And so that is what they get into as an adult. And that is just what they know. They don't know that, hey, this isn't healthy. This isn't right. And right. don't know how to get out of those situations. That's really awesome. So that's one of the first things you did as a new chief. Um, it wasn't, it didn't end up being well, one I mean, of the first things. It was things, one it, of your first goals. Yes. It took a, yep. it took a while, I realized. It realize. took some time. Yeah. But that was one of my first goals. What are some other things that you did or wanted to focus on or, or are focusing on now? Um, right now we're, we're, we, I alluded a little bit to the mental health issues in America mm -hmm. and uh, one program we implemented with the, the help of the council and our, and our city management is to uh, obtain funding and, again, and this was ARPA funding for our mental health therapist. And um, part of his job is to give therapy to the officers, help them manage their, their sleep, their PTSD, some of those challenges that come with the job that we've just been, as an industry, horrible at addressing. And the other part of his job is to um, look at some of the cases we deal with, mental health-related cases that our officers deal with, and kind of like Jennifer, make sure that we're doing things the way we should. And if we're not, he can, he can provide his feedback but also help uh, get some of our residents help where they can, you know, make referrals or even uh, intervene and, and um, help them until they can get, you know, their own therapy or get into a program. Um, he, can, he can help teach classes. He, he did a class up at uh, DTC earlier this year to, to kind of talk about some mental health issues to that, that student body. 
And um, I think he's really making a big difference in people's lives in Kaysville. I think he is too. It's it's been really fun to watch. He has he has a lot of passion for this, and I think he's especially good because he's a retired officer who went back and got his uh, licensed clinical therapist degree, and so he's able to apply what he's learned with for that degree with his law enforcement experience and and it's made him very effective it, it gives him street creds doesn't it yeah yeah with, it does. with, with the with the officers mm-hmm. and our and our firefighters right because he's he's done what you've done he understands what what it feels like and is not just a person that has no experience and no background in yeah, it yeah yeah to really relate to them uh one one thing you know with with some of the these high profile um police abuses that have been highlighted in the media that we've seen over the last five years. A, a theme that's come back to police leaders is you can't put somebody out on the street that's not a healthy product. You know, you what what you put out on the street is what you're going to get back. And right. if you have an officer who's got some mental issues handling calls, what you know, what do you expect that you're going to get? Right. And that's something that we hadn't done a great job at in law enforcement and Stuart is really helping us uh, improve in that area so that, you know, we've always had an emphasis on fitness um, because if, if you have a fit officer, they're less likely to use more force than is necessary against a a suspect. And they're also um, less likely to get assaulted by suspects. Um, so, you know, we've always had fitness is, mm. is important, but, uh, we've always neglected kind of the, the mental aspect of that. And, uh, so we're trying to get a, a grip on that and, uh, you know, Stuart is helping us get there. Well, and we're one of the, either the first or the few uh, I think departments. we're the second in the state. In the state, which is incredible to yeah. have a resource like Stuart. Yeah. And it's really been helpful to us. I know we've needed him. We've had some emergencies and some hard things this year, and it's been great to have him on board. Yeah, yep. He's made a huge difference. Chief, I appreciate you being here. Appreciate you telling us a little bit about the department and the job that you guys do. We appreciate you. You know, as a person that lives in Caseville, I I really didn't think we had a lot of serious things going on, but we do, and so we appreciate everything that you guys do to protect us and keep us safe. Well, thank you, Mayor. To all my podcast listeners, thank you for listening. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Please leave comments and please leave suggestions for future guests. And most importantly, subscribe. Thank you.